All right. Jonah, part two. When we last left our hero, soon to be turned zero, Jonah had come clean. Well, he had to kind of come clean because he was forced to come clean because they threw some dice and it came, or I don't know if they threw dice, but casted lots, and it landed on him. And so he had to kind of confess, it's me, I'm the one. And so the sailors, they, they, things are still progressing in the storm and it's getting worse and worse. And they ask him, well, well, well what's, what's going on? What, what are we supposed to do with this? And they'll ask Jonah that question. Before we get to his response, we're going to pray. Lord, your, your word is alive and well and in our hearts. But it's only by the power of your spirit, God, that you can just open it up to us, that we understand and we can just we can just walk in the footsteps of the people that have gone before us. We want to thank you for that, God. Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so this is what Jonah tells them. They say, Jonah, what do we do? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So he's starting to come to grips with the situation. He's starting to take responsibility. He knows that this storm is his fault. That he has caused the Lord God to to churn up the sea because of him. And I I have to believe that on, on some level we all... We all know that when we run from God, eventually he's going to catch up with us. He is going to get our attention one way or another. And, I, and, and Jonah is finally there. He, remit, he admits his responsibility. Maybe he's even starting to come to term with, with his sin. Like, maybe this wasn't such a, a good idea. Because he's willing to die for it. He says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. That's not an escape route. This is, this is a death sentence in his eyes. He is, he's guilty. He knows it. And he's willing to put himself into the hands of God. And then as the story goes on, instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, have done as you pleased. I kind of messed up the commas there, but you get that. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows for him. So these guys, these sailors, they really don't want to throw him overboard. Jonah said, throw me in. And they're like, maybe, maybe there's a better plan. Maybe, maybe that's not the right idea. Maybe we shouldn't kill this guy 
to end this whole situation that we're in. Because i got to think that they're thinking that a God that can display power like this to cause a storm this big that would make seasoned sailors afraid, this is not a God you want to get on the wrong side of. This is not a God that you want to kill one of his people. And so what do they do? They take things, once again, into their own hands. They try to do it themselves. And you know, yes, Lord. Was that me? Was it? Oh, it's weird. Anyway, they take matters into their own hands. And I got it. I just, how many times have I done the same thing? I mean, they don't want to kill him. They're looking for a better option. Their intent is, is, is positive. It's, it's good. It's a good intent. And how often I have done the same exact thing. Taking things into, my intentions are good, but yeah, I take them into my own. I can do this. I can do this. I can figure this thing out. I can get through this. I can make this right. It's almost like God, he, it's almost like God, trying to fix this because that's just going to wig me out. He lets us have all of our attempts to get it right. He lets us go through the process. He lets us try to figure it out. He lets us try to get all of our little ideas on the table and work them out and try to make sure that we've covered all of our bases only to watch our attempts just fall apart. And so for these guys, finally, their last attempt, it falls apart. They are going nowhere and they give in and they pick him up and they throw him overboard. I guess we can say that he's getting what he deserves, right? He's getting his just reward. In, in Romans, Peter would write, for the wages of sin is death. And Jonah is collecting his wage. The Lord has thrown him into the sea. Well, he had the sailors throw him into the sea. He is reaping his wage. He hits the water and things go quiet. The Lord has seemed to lift his anger. The plan has been completed. It's been executed. God caused these sailors to make a willing choice for his glory. And Yahweh, the Lord of all creation, has caught up with his prophet. And if we didn't know the story, if you were just hearing the story for the first time, you would think that Jonah is going to die. But you see, we, don't, we, we just can't live in not knowing the story because it's such, it's the flannel graph story of history. I mean, if you grew up in church, there was the fish on the green flannel and there was, I mean, you know this story over and over and over again. And so I think that it's okay for us to go, you know what, what we're witnessing here is not the punishment of Jonah. He is not being punished for his sin. What we have just witnessed is the intervention of God in a sinner's life. God steps in to a sinner's life. He pursues people. And he pursues his own people. And sometimes it's with a fury. Not to kill and not to destroy, but to bring life, to bring repentance, to build people up. You know, sometimes we, we look at the things that we go through in our lives and, you know, things are, are painful and they're cruel and they're harsh. And, and, and we consider them to be curses. We consider them to be even sometimes God punishing. You know, storms are going to come and go. 
And we were all painfully aware that storms in our lives, they come and they go. And you know what? Guess what? Here's the, okay, you ready for this? Sometimes those storms, they are, they are our faults. We are responsible for the storms, some of them, that come into our lives. And that's just the truth of the matter. We, it's our bad. And we can look at those things in two different ways. We can look at it as punishment, I guess. God's punishing me again. Or maybe God is trying to intervene in your life. God is trying to get your attention because sometimes he's got to kill stuff off before he can bring life. Because remember, God is, God is the God of resurrection. God is the God who brings life. And in order for a resurrection to take place, something has to die. And, and Jonah, Jonah, he needs some resurrecting, not just from the physical situation that he finds himself in, but he needs a resurrection that's much, much deeper than that. His only savior is the messy, hard, fierce grace of God. And so they throw him overboard. He hits the water. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is life. God does not abandon his prophet, but he saves him. And he sends this big old fish. I don't know if it was an old fish, but it's a big fish anyway. And it goes and it swallows him up. And you can try to speculate on what kind of fish it was. The only thing that, the only thing that we might be able to, to get from this is if we send Jeremy Wade out on River Monsters and maybe he can do a whole show on Jonah and the fish. I'm not, but, but forget about that. Just know that God sends this fish and it's in the belly of this fish that he will experience the grace of God. And can you imagine what he's thinking? He just got swallowed by a fish, okay? Now, I know this is ancient times, but, but I can't imagine that getting eaten by a fish was common back then. I can't imagine he's thinking and he's sitting there he's like, yeah, wow, this is what it's like, huh? I mean, it's, 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 just, it's just beyond my imagination. And so God rescues him. And his, and his rescue is messy, and it's, and it's rough, and it's definitely supernatural. And, and, and so what's he doing in there? I mean, what's it like in the belly of a fish? Is he sitting like in the corner? He's sitting like on a big old fish bone or something? He's like, oh, this is not cool. Or is he like swimming in this pool of, of fish, yuck? And, and, you know, and he's just getting bounced around. It's getting in his mouth. I mean, he's in a fish, okay? Have you ever opened a fish? Anybody go fishing? Ew. And now we have a fish big enough to swallow a dude, okay? So what is, I mean, you got to think. If you don't, come on, start using your imagination. And then so I just take it a little bit further. I'm like, why a fish? Here, here would have been my plan. I think my plan's pretty good. My plan would have been, okay, you throw him over, if I were God, and then you got all this debris in the water because they, all, the, all the cargo got dumped. You send a nice piece of debris over to Jonah. He climbs on, and I'm God. I just give a nice fair wind trade, and it just blows him on land. Wouldn't that be much more believable, like for the centuries that come, and people go, oh, yeah, a big fish, right, right? And, and so that's what I'm thinking. 
I guess maybe we're never going to know. But here's what we do know. Jonah finds the grace of God in the belly of a fish. Unmerited, undeserved favor of God. And so he gets in there and what's he do? He begins to pray. And I want to spend the rest of our morning looking at Jonah's prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, I am in distress. I'm sorry. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for your help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. So Jonah is in the belly of the fish. I guess things have calmed down a little bit. He must be feeling a little bit comfortable because he's able to just kind of reevaluate the things that have just taken place. And in his heart, he's going to reach out to God. In his heart, he is going to pray to God. And he must have called out when he got thrown overboard like any sane man would do anyway. He calls out to God because he recognizes that the situation he finds himself in now is not a coincidence. This is, this is a God thing. This is a God plan. Him hitting the water was God's plan. And him being saved by this fish is God's plan. Jonah decided to run. God said, Jonah, I want you to do something. And he said, no. And he decided to run. And God could have caught up with him long before he got on the boat and got you know, eaten by a fish. But God did not. It was almost like God saying, okay, you want to run? Go ahead. See how that works for you. Almost like, Jonah, let your will be done. See how that plays out. See how that goes. Romans chapter 1 talks about the wrath of God letting people do what they want to do. And then he gives us over to our own desires and our own perversions. And he lets us suffer the consequence of wanting to do it on our own. But the whole time, the whole time, grace is just a, an asking away. And then in verse 4 at the bottom it says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. You know, Jonah's words are our words. That I've been banished from your holy temple, but I, uh, banished from your sight, but I will look again. I will look again and I will find you. There's hopelessness has turned to hope and despair maybe has turned to some relief. There's an assurance in his words that God is good. I'm sure that there was a point in all this where he thought, man, he is done. God wanted nothing to do with him anymore. He messed up way beyond a do-over, a mulligan. God wasn't going there. How many times have you ever felt like that in your own life? Those times when you decided you wanted to go in your own direction. Those times when you decided you were going to do your own thing. The time when you decided that you were going to run from God in disobedience. How many times have you made that tragic mistake and you just began to feel like God wants nothing to do with you? 
like he was done. That this time, this sin again, this was the one that he wasn't going to forget. You, you used up 70 times 70. And you came to the end of the road and you just sensed that God wanted nothing to do with you. I think it's sad to think that we try to run from and avoid the very one that is willing to forgive our sin completely. We try to run from and avoid the one that can make it all right, all better, 100% restored. See, Jonah knows God. He knows his character. And he knows that the belly of the fish is not the end. It's not the end of the story for him. He knows that God's grace will prevail. Intervention is never the end of the story. Intervention is, it's always the painful beginning of a journey that can lead to transformation. It's never the end of the story. And we should always know that by the grace of God, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think it is, you can always turn back to Him and He will welcome you back in grace and mercy. Because it's not, it's not the Lord that has turned from us. We have turned from Him. And we can turn back. In fact, He calls us pursues us to turn back. It is by grace you have been saved over and over and over again. And it's by that same grace that we can come home. Jonah continues. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. You know, as I read this section of, of the prayer, I, I actually giggled a little bit because it sounds so like dramatic. The engulfing waters threatened me, seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. I mean, I mean, it's like, like if he knew King James, he would be praying in his best King James, you know, because that's what we do when we got to get serious with God. We go with the thou's and the, you know, the proper English. And, and so I just, I just had to laugh. When I was early off in my ministry life, I, did a, I used to do a Bible study at Manson Youth Institute, which is right here in Cheshire. And, uh, I believe it's a level four or level five category prison. It's like for the really bad kids. And uh, it's a full-blown jail. And I've been put on a visiting list for, you know, about some people that have been in jail. So, you know, literally you go in and you got to talk through the glass on the phone. And, and, and I've spoken to people like that. And what, what I found is it seems, it seems when people are locked up behind bars, God gets really important like prayer becomes something that's, that's very important. Many people start reading the Bible in jail. People that would, would want nothing to do with the Bible. They begin to read it when they're in jail. Things like um, 
what's the word? Um, repentance become very important to people who, who are in jail. And my attitude back then was I was a little arrogant. I was just like, of course they want God. They're in jail. What else, what else can they do? Here they are. They're sitting in jail. Bottom of the pit. Belly of the fish. Where else are you going to go? I've seen many a jailhouse conversion. I mean, tears. And I'm like, well, you know, duh. I mean, a little late, huh? But I recognized my, I've recognized since then my arrogance. And as I've walked with Jesus for this, the time that I have, who am I to judge a person's heart? Who am I to judge a person and their sincerity when it comes between them and God? You know, as I look at this prayer and I look at these verses, I, I can't judge Jonah as he sits in the belly of the fish because you know what? Sometimes God puts us behind bars. Sometimes God puts us in the belly of that fish. Maybe not literally, but he puts you in that spot. So there are no longer any distractions at all. There is just you and your creator. And he will bring you to a place. He can bring you to a place where you no longer can rely on you, your know-how, your street smarts, your own strength. You have to rely on him. He will come and he can and will take the wind out of your sail. And I know that many of us have felt that way. You know, you're at the, you're at the bottom You're sinking down to the root of the mountains. You can't get any lower. You can't get more miserable. It feels like this place of of hopelessness. But it's in those places. It's in those places where you can begin your detox from the world. Maybe from yourself. A place where there is nothing There is nothing left but you and God. Everything has been removed. Everything has been burned away. All your self stuff is finally gone. And your your very soul is just left vulnerable. And man, that could be a very scary place. But it's in that place. It's in that place, man, where, where you start to think a little bit. Where you start to evaluate Things. It's in that place where you might begin to recognize or realize that, you know what? You messed up. I messed up. This is my, this storm, I caused this storm in my life. And you know what? I don't even deserve to be rescued. God, I don't even deserve to be rescued. And it's in those moments, by God's grace, that he will offer his deliverance. It's in those moments where he can reach down into your situation. Man, we have all been in the belly of the fish. Jonah will say, but you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. But you, Lord, brought my life from the pit The prodigal son has finally returned. His evaluation of the situation has led to a realization of the situation that he's in. And those are the first steps 
that you start to, to take towards faith and towards God and toward your transformation, that the Lord would get a hold of you and begin to change you the, on, the way, only way that the Lord can change and it's the realization that, that it's God's grace and his grace and power alone that can and will save you. We can't save ourselves. And sometimes it takes a story like this in our lives to wake us up to that truth and to understand that we can't save ourselves. The Lord, but the Lord can reach down into the bottom of the pit and pull you out. And I guess the question for me was, why do we stay there so long? Why do we stay in the bottom of the pit for so, so long? Well, I know for me, I'm a stubborn guy. I got, a little, I got a little edge of arrogance sprinkled with a little pride. Mostly stubbornness, though. Pray for me. My children are the chip off the old block on the stubbornness side. Hebrews 4, it tells us this. Approach with confidence the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace that helps. You know, you know, you know I, I look at this verse. It says, stop being stubborn. Stop being so arrogant. You can come to the, to the throne of grace and be healed. What's the matter with you? You don't have to stay in the belly of the fish. The last part of his prayer. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. These are the words spoken from a man who realizes how indebted to God that he really is. And, and to cling to anything but the Lord in our life is a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of breath. And what's interesting to me uh, when we look at this, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. And, and that word love in the Hebrew is, is just a, a word that's filled with, with all kinds of stuff. It means goodness and kindness and faithfulness and mercy. It speaks to the covenant love of God that he has for his people. So those who look to fake idol, or to, to idols, those who create a God in their own image, to those who to look to false gods, man-made gods. We turn away from the love of God. We turn away from his mercy and his kindness. We turn away from the love of God. When we look to our finances, we turn away from the love of God. When we look to our job, we turn away from the love of God. When we look to us in our own strength and in our own um, our own wisdom, man's wisdom, we turn away from the love of God. We're turning away from the very thing that God just wants to pour out on his people. You know, I was thinking about this. I had to say, well, you know, why, why do we do that? I mean, why do you do that? I don't do that. I'm a pastor. But why do, you, why do you do that? You know, I think it comes down to a trust issue. I believe it, it comes down to a trust issue. We don't trust God. We don't trust that he has our best in mind. We don't trust that he's got our back. We don't trust that God can, and you fill in the blank. Now, you would never admit that because 
you're not pastors. But, but, so, but, but that, I think that's where, because in the garden, that's what the serpent said to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? You're not going to die. God doesn't have your best, your best interest in mind. He just doesn't want you to become like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from that tree. And see, that, that whole idea has been put into the mind of humanity, and it has plagued us ever since then. We really don't trust that God has our best. To understand grace, to understand mercy, and to understand love, we we can't fully understand it in just our humanness. We can't fully define it. It transcends our human definitions. And so that means that God's grace, mercy, and love might not look like what we expect it to look like. It might not go the way that we would really like it to go. When we order up a little grace, mercy, and love off the God menu, sometimes it doesn't come the way that we want it to come. Sometimes it doesn't come where? When? But it will come. Because, because we can't fully understand everything that is of God. Sometimes, sometimes the mercy of God comes in the belly of a fish. And that's, that's, a, that's hard for us to get our, our, our minds around. Sometimes the very thing that we're avoiding in life, the very thing that we're trying to, to stay away from, the very thing that we're trying to figure out in our own strength, is the intervention of God's grace and mercy into our lives. Imagine that, the healing of our soul in the belly of a fish. And so for Jonah, he finally comes to a place of kind of getting it. I guess being swallowed by a fish hole would tend to wake you up a little bit. And there's, there's a, a parallel thing going on in, in this story up until this point, I think the writer wants us to see. Jonah has come to a place that with praise, he will take a message, tell him I'm busy. Uh, with praise that he will make a sacrifice now to the Lord. He's finally arrived at the place where the sailors came to, maybe days before. Because when the sea quieted down and they threw Jonah in, they worshiped. And they made a sacrifice. They made vows to Yahweh. Both were saved. Both worshipped. The difference is the man of God took a little bit longer to get there. It took him a little bit longer to, to submit to God's plan, to God's will. And oh, I just think about that. It's like how the seasoned God follower kind of fits that category, right? We, we, you know, you've been following, you've been on this thing of faith for a while, and sometimes you just put on your God muscles, right? You, you know, you got, it takes you a little longer than the new person who has just fallen in love with Jesus. And he's like, yeah, whatever, God. You do it, I can't. But you know, we gotta we gotta look at it from a theological perspective. We gotta read the commentary before we can actually live that verse out. Because obviously we can't get it right on our own. But what's interesting to me in this story is both pagan sailor and man of God, prophet of God, pray and they're saved. The sailors are saved. The prophet is saved. So, okay, so 
so you know, I want you to understand what I'm saying here. People who worshiped many gods, idolaters, bad people, prayed to God and God saved them. Now there's a truth that's taking place here about the grace and mercy of God. There's something, there's some, right on the surface, it looks just to be scandalous. God would answer the prayers of ungodly people? Really? But a sincere cry from the heart to the Lord our God, he will not ignore. And here's your proof. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Personally, for me, when I called out for the first time to, to the Lord, I was one of those sailors. I was, just, I, was, I was a heathen. I was doing my own thing. I was worshiping my own gods. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He was just a cramp and a lifestyle that I was grooving on for a long time. By classic definition, I was a heathen, a pagan. But when I called, when I called with, with sincerity of heart and soul, he answered. The belly of the fish that I was in for two years up to that point of calling out to God, as I look back now, was not him punishing me for all of my past sin. And he knows <laughs> that list is long. Those two years in the belly of the fish was God's gracious and merciful intervention into my life that would ultimately lead to my own transformation. While we were heathen, pagan, we were God-haters. The love of God sent Jesus Christ to the earth to die for our sins. Every one of us, before we started walking with Christ, before we made that profession of faith, we were one of those sailors. We were doing our own thing. We were worshiping our false gods. But with a heartfelt cry to the Lord, he steps in. And he will save the pagan, and he will save the saint. Jonah states a very plain truth right here. He says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. See, salvation is God's business. It's his plan. It's his plan to make it everything right again from a from a world perspective environmental perspective from an individual perspective salvation comes from the lord it's his business it's his business when it happens it's his business how it happens we will find our salvation in nothing else in nothing else but the Lord our God. God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that it's, it's full of life.
And Lord, I pray that we would engage life through the lens, not of the world, but through your scripture. That we would notice that the scriptures, as they unfold, they continually happen to us and with us. And always let us remember that salvation comes from you and from you alone. We praise you and we give you the glory. Amen.